Welcome back to Radio Rothbard and our topic this week. Time for some more FBI bashing, and we've got a great reason for it. The long-awaited Durham report has come out. This goes back to the Trump days and the uh, Russiagate allegations that the FBI played a part of, of running with, kind of leading to a larger dynamic of really highlighting the ways the administrative state and the uh, various agencies can really co-opt um, even a democratically elected president. Uh, I think it was a moment that's radicalized a whole lot of people in the country. I know a lot of people that I talk to here in the Florida panhandle, and I cannot think of two better people to talk about this subject than my usual co-host, of course, Ryan McMakin, and our good friend Jim Bovard, who has an article uh, this week in the New York Post on the Durham files. Uh, Jim, how are you doing? Uh, doing fine. Thanks for having me on, though. Good to see you again. And great, great to see you. I know you got a fine cigar for this episode, which is <laughs> it's not uh, a fine great, cigar. It's a cheap cigar. You know, I mean, you, you know, <laughs> folks sometimes ask me if, it, hey, is that a Cuban cigar? I say, look, I'm a freelance writer. I mean, freelance writers are not allowed to smoke Cuban cigars. It would it would ruin the cachet of every freelance writer in the country. Flip side is I'm not one of these folks who who holds up the cigar and says, see the band, it's a fancy band. Hell, it was the dollar cigar. You know, you can't go too far wrong with a dollar cigar. Well, you know what would pair nice with that cigar, though, would be one of these great Radio Rothbard coffee mugs. We'll be sending one your way, Jim, for next time. Uh, for those out there that want one, Mises.org slash Roth mug. You can get your order today. That's my shameless shilling for this episode. Um, but Jim, for our audience, um, can you talk a little bit about exactly what is the Durham report? Um, you know, why does this matter? And, um, you know, you know, you just kind of got to give a little bit of a background for this particular episode. Um, again, I know FBI bashing, there's plenty of reasons to hate the FBI. You're one of the great historians on the agency itself. Um, but what exactly is the, the Durham report and why are people talking about it today? So the Durham report came out this week, 316 pages. This is a, the a fruit of a four-year investigation. And the thing that's great is, is that the Durham report has restored faith in the system. So, well, maybe not entirely. Uh, but so what happened was uh, there were a lot of allegations about the FBI bias in 2016 the Inspector General, uh, Michael Horowitz, came out with reports in 2018 and 19 that showed that the FBI had gone way overboard in targeting um, it in how it handled uh, the Hillary Clinton investigation. She was uh, there was a criminal investigation for her misuse of email when she was secretary of state. She was uh, completely violated federal laws and handling classified documents. So the FBI goes in there and you had Hillary staffers use bleach, uh, bleach bit to destroy all these devices and tens of thousands of emails that had been subpoenaed by Congress. You had a number of her, um, her uh, staffers make false statements to the FBI. You had the FBI go in there and presume that Hillary Clinton was innocent and she was not even in question until the, the final day of the investigation when she sat down with a bunch of FBI Poobahs, and there was no no recording, no video, and uh, FBI Chief James Comey said that he had planned to acquit her unless she confessed. So, I mean, this is a real tough standard. So, but what happened was 
what the um, there were a lot of questions after that report about the standards the FBI had used to go after the Trump campaign, which they got a FISA, a, a Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court warrant, which is basically a vacuum cleaner that allows the feds to vacuum up your entire life, everything around you. And uh, the FBI made a number of false statements to get those warrants. And so the Durham report was trying to figure out, uh, you know, were laws violated? How much abuse was there? And it's kind of a paradoxical report because if you read the, uh, if you read the summary, the uh, what, uh, thumbnail, whatever the hell they called it, well, there were mistakes that were made, and there was a bias, and there was this and that. But if you go to the actual details of the report, there's some holy crap details of how biased the FBI was in their treatment of Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Yeah, I uh, went in and I I looked at it, and I found. To a certain extent, right, they had what you would expect, is that there would be um, some pretty damning stuff in there, but there's always sort of that, uh, well, you know, probably most of these people had good intentions, and maybe there's some bad training. Weasel word you're looking for. <laughs> right. Weasel word. Exactly. And so I, well, I think what was so shocking to me, and probably for you, was just how damning some of the language was that it went as far as it did. Because I think this is like the best case scenario in terms of criticism of the FBI. Because I think what I would always just expect from any report coming out about the FBI would mostly be a whitewash with maybe some mild criticism. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I mean, there was stuff in the, in the Inspector General reports by Horowitz that were just a hell of a lot more damning than, in some ways, this report here, because... The uh, June 2018 report, I did a USA Today op-ed on that, and it laid out the extreme bias of the top FBI investigators who are basically saying Trump is scum and we're going to make sure he loses and, and Trump supporters are pieces of shit. And so, I mean, this is their wording, not mine. And it's like, yeah, but the uh, I think Horowitz had some kind of weasel wording. He said, well, um, there was some bias, but it did not affect the conduct of the investigation. And I think, I don't know, you call someone a piece of shit, and I'm thinking like, you know, maybe there's some bias. So, um, but it was, it, it was, it's fat. It's uh, what I want to do, or what I did in the Peace Libertarian Institute today, is look at the Durham report in light of the Inspector General reports. Because there was another Inspector General report that showed that Comey had leaked his classified, confidential, I forgot the exact legal frame they used, leaked his personal documents to a guy who gave it to the New York Times, and that was how we got the special counsel, Robert Mueller, who had two years of BS before he said, yeah, well, didn't find anything. Sorry to mess up your politics. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's do that then, right? Let's add some additional context uh, for this report. And sure, let's draw upon your Libertarian Institute piece as well. And I'm looking at your piece from the New York Post today. The headline they gave it, at least, uh, is Durham proves that Hillary and the FBI tried to rig the 2016 election. And I do think that's the subtext of the whole thing, right? Is the, As far as I can tell, the report certainly doesn't say, oh, yeah, it was an effort to rig the election. But by the time you, you get through it all, the, uh, what we all suspected was that these were a bunch of agents who didn't want the, uh, uh, the election to go a certain way. And so it just seems that this is just the latest confirmation then 
that the FBI continues its descent down and into uh, a weaponized, highly political technocracy that's there to really target Americans, uh, whether they're criminals or not, and to push a certain agenda. At least that's that's my takeaway from not just this report, but the last several years. Yeah, well, it's it's um, there are some FBI agents who I think take their oath of office and you know Constitution and all that, take it seriously. But it seems as if the folks who rise to the top, I mean, didn't Hayek have a uh, essay on this? Uh, so. Uh, but if you, you know, there was, a, there was a phrase, the, the briefing that they did, um, to the, um, Obama and others, I guess it was on early August, 2016, talked about the Hillary campaign plan to vilify Donald Trump as a Russian agent, as a way to distract attention from Hillary Clinton's own email scandal. And so you have this in, you know, uh, this is something that, uh, for some reason, the Washington Post report didn't highlight that. Uh, but um, this is the kind of thing, I mean, I was surprised, I'm pretty sure it had the word vilify in there. I, I'm not, I don't have my screen in front of me here, but it's very stark language. And um, th there was, you know, you could not expect more overt bias. And at the same time, you had the FBI putting all their, putting so much reliance on the Steele dossier that was financed by the Hillary Clinton campaign. And, you know, the FBI offered the, the Steele, the uh, former British uh, spy, a million dollars if he could verify that. And he, he couldn't do it. FBI used it anyhow. And it's like, you know, well, that's a paradox. Well, and uh, it's really just shocking how how much of a, a good reputation the FBI still enjoys. I was I was looking up. Right. What, what do people say is their opinion of the FBI and like Pew and Gallup surveys and all of that? And they still get a, a slight majority of the American population saying, yeah, these are great, honest organizations. Now, the media comes in at like, I don't know, like 10 percent at best. Uh, and half of Americans say they actually think that the media is trying to mislead them. Uh, and actively lie to them. The FBI does much, much better than that, even though I think their reputations should be on the same level as a CNN or a Washington Post. Uh, and so it's just astounding that they've managed to preserve this much reputational uh, prestige for so long. Part of what's interesting is, is the breakdown. I mean, with Democrats, you've got a poll, I think, in March showed that 66% of Democrats approve of the FBI only 22% disapproved. It's much lower among Republicans, but uh, you know the thing that would be fun is to is to take that um, uh, ask the same question for the Washington press corps, who's always eating out of the hand of the FBI. You know, it might have 100% approval, maybe 120%. Um, so, uh, but it's just um, you know it's interesting that um, that the FBI came out with a statement saying. Uh, once the Durham report came out, said, yes, it's true, there were missteps, and thank goodness that we had made reforms that won't happen again. And I'm thinking, okay, did they also include a price tag on the Brooklyn Bridge? Well, that's just really, that's just what the answer always is, right? Just like the local police, we investigated ourselves, we've made the necessary changes, we've sent some agents back for retraining, and now it's going to be fine. Uh, and I think that's where you get historical context is so important here. 
right where we can look at and I in my article uh, today I linked to some of your old articles just talking about the full history of the FBI is one of criminality like from from the very beginning right they were there to carry out the regime's desires silencing anti-war activists uh from the teens all the way up through Vietnam and unto now and just all of the uh the attempts to skirt the law to reinterpret the law, some of the information you've included on how FBI training explicitly notes that suspects have, quote, forfeited their right to the truth. So you can spin all sorts of deceptions for the public. That's a great movie. And I, I mean, it's just line. astounding. This is not a new thing. But, but I think back to the issue of Republicans differing on their view from the Democrats on this. I think that's an illustration of how much progress has been made, because I know, I'm sure you've enc- I've mentioned this here on the podcast more than once, I'm sure you've encountered this too, Jim, is that you will sit down with these Republican types and they will talk about um, how, oh, the government can't do anything right and I'm skeptical of everything the government tells me and boy, they, they're terrible at health care, they're ter- terrible at poverty relief. Uh, but once you ask them about the CIA or the FBI or the U.S. military, suddenly you're talking about infallible organizations that must always be trusted and applauded. And I and you used to hear this all the time from so-called right-wingers, skeptical libertarian types who no longer, I think, uh, are falling for the whole... The FBI is is upstanding professionals who are patriots and only have the the best uh, the best for America at heart. I think the fact that it's they're now down to as you note, right? We're down in the twenties, maybe in some polls for support among Republicans. That means there's a real divide here now for the first time, and I think that means trouble for them. Well. Uh, I hope you're right, but it's interesting. I was going back looking at some old stuff, and New York Times had a great piece on September 9th, I think it was, uh, 2001. And it was talking about all the troubles the FBI was having, and the public approval rating for the FBI at that point had fallen as low as 24% overall among both Republicans and Democrats and and, and, and people who were actually independent because they've got a brain. So... Uh, but 24%. And so, and there was a crisis there. And then two days later, you get the 9-11 attacks that uh, that succeeded in large part thanks to FBI snafus and uh, you know, horrendous failures. And all of a sudden, you get the entire federal government put back on the pedestal and everybody's rallying around Uncle Sam. The uh, the uh, in, in two weeks after the um, uh, 9-11 attacks, the percentage of Americans who trusted the government to do the right thing doubled. And it's like and they were being encouraged that way by the media who said, oh, it's great. The government's back on a pedestal. And, you know, I mean, as someone had been, you know, throwing rocks at the government for many years at that point, I'm thinking, ah, all my work is for naught. No, that's true. Do not underestimate the uh, the benefit to the regime of a foreign, new foreign boogeyman. And that's what I do fear is well, how is this China thing yes, going to play you. out where... Somehow they managed to turn China into enough of a perceived threat that everybody just basically wants to give the U.S. government unlimited power to counter the Chinese, whatever, however that would work itself out. And so, yeah, I do think that's a, that's a yeah, constant well, danger. Yeah, there, there, there's, there's China or there, there's Ukraine and Russia 
or the thing that really keeps me up at night worrying about Venezuela. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's one aspect of of the FBI that should probably be mentioned is that the FBI, they what is their reputation based on? Right. And in the early years, television shows. Television <laughs> that's it. Right. Shows. In the early years, this idea that crime is running rampant and we need the FBI to step in and provide valuable resources and. Um, organized crime in America is out of control, and the FBI built itself as this essential law enforcement agency. Well, now if you go to the uh, FBI site, they have a Q and A there that's still up and has been up for years. Um, they say, "Oh no, we're no, we're not a uh, law enforcement agency. We're an intelligence agency. We're a national security agency." And so they, however, have not given up their domestic policing uh, authority and prerogatives and budget. Uh, but but they do, of Not course, then want to play the CIA game. So they've expanded without withdrawing from any policy area. And now they, they're basically sort of a assistant CIA. They're, they're working with uh, 17 other intelligence organizations. And it's astounding that we would even consider that right. intelligence. Why are they even a necessary organization? It's just it's amazing that that they're considered so essential. Well, well, if it wasn't for the FBI, the CBS would be out with three, ah. would be missing three of their top uh, drama shows right now, oh. which also includes FBI International. So even CBS is in on this game of foreign interference from, from the FBI. So well, what would Dick Wolf be doing right now if, if the FBI, I mean, the cops, you know, New York cops are out of style. FBI is where it's at. And it's, it is interesting. This, the, the CBS series started in 2018. Hmm. Just just drawing some connections there. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing how how happy the media has been to be a propaganda arm. There was that the, the ABC had a program in the I guess the sixties, maybe early seventies, on the FBI. People did not realize the FBI had veto power over every word in their script. And I don't know if that's still the case with those FBI programs, but they're so god awful servile. It's like you know, um, I don't know. I mean, but but there's. Uh, there's a lot of people who want to believe and trust the government. And, you know, I don't think either Ryan or I have been able to reach them. Well, let's go back to the report a little bit. Uh, and sure. just for the sake of our audience, helping them to kind of keep track of how this as it develops, who would you say are the top names in terms of the top villains of this whole Russiagate um election rigging episode like who are the highest the people highest in the regime who had some direct involvement here that that we should be really worried about hillary, yeah hillary clinton is way up there because i mean it was a uh, you know the durham report refers to the clinton plan which was a plan to basically portray trump as a russian agent or a russian tool and that was something which the FBI got on board with, even though they had almost no evidence. They just, you know, about the only, you know, they were trying to claim they weren't using the sealed dossier that much. That's crap. Uh, there was some uh, some junior campaign official had a couple of drinks with some dude from Australia. And all of a sudden, you know, we got to uh, basically uh, throw out checks and balances in the U.S. Constitution and have federal agency intervene in the election because of that. But I mean, part of the part of the um, huge damage was that they dragged this out 
for most of the Trump presidency, even though Trump was not guilty of this. I mean, Trump did a lot of crap, and there were there were a lot of abuses he did of the Constitution and federal law, aside from wasting trillions of dollars and uh, championing the lockdowns early on. Uh, but um, Hillary Clinton's one James Comey is way up there as well. Uh, Comey kept elbowing his people. Where's the FISA? Where's the FISA for uh, the, the FISA search warrant for the uh, you know pitiful, pathetic information they had to target the Trump people? And then uh, uh, Comey, after Comey got fired by Trump, Comey leaked his uh, per, his you know FBI documents that he wrote, classified, confidential. They landed in the New York Times, big story, and you know for the next two, three years, the media is on a Russian terrorist. And it's really unfortunate because this has helped, this has paved the way to a great deal of acrimony towards Russia and increase the chance of world war, which is a pretty high pace, uh, high price to pay to meddle in an election. Well, and I don't know if you've looked into it at all, but I do know that uh, the left at least is trying to portray, first of all, the report as something of a nothing burger. Uh, to use a, a favorite Hillary Clinton phrase, and oh, and look, because we didn't get we didn't get a whole bunch of uh, uh, successful prosecutions out of it, so therefore the whole report really amounted to nothing. What would you say in response to that? And the second part is they're also saying is that well, there was still all this Russian interference. We just haven't proven that Trump was was a key part of it. So on on those two issues, what should the takeaway be here? Well, um, on the first issue, yeah, I think it was Jake Tapper who went on CNN and said that, hey, um, the Durham report is devastating to the FBI. And he was right. I mean, it's a novelty for CNN, but he was right. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the dude, uh, former sports guy uh, who's always screaming hysterically. Uh, Oberman. Yes, yes. Uh, Keith Oberman uh, said that Jake Tapper should be fired for saying the Durham report was devastating to the FBI. Well, uh, the, the, um, the Washington Post comes out with an editorial and says that the, uh, the, the, the one lesson uh, from the report is that federal prosecutors need more power. And, and, and I'm thinking, damn, I missed that part. Uh, but, but, but the Post also made a big deal about how, the, um, how nobody was sent to prison as a result of the um, Durham investigation. You had Kevin Kleinsmith, a top FBI lawyer who made false statements to the FISA court in the FISA warrant application. And that was how, how they got the warrant to spy on the presidential campaign. And federal prosecutors said that he had done immeasurable damage uh, with his lying to the FISA court. But you had federal judge there, Boesberg, I think, who says, well, you've suffered enough. I'm just going to give you probation. And because of that, the, the, the Post can say, well, nobody was sent to uh, jail for this. I'm thinking, hell, because you had a federal judge who who uh, gave a wrist slap to a top FBI lawyer who admitted he had made a false statement in a, a FISA warrant application. So um, I think that the pieces are coming together. People need to keep pushing on this, keep tying the narrative together. And um, it's great evidence to be profoundly wary of uh, federal law enforcement and federal intelligence agencies. And that's my takeaway from it. But I'm biased. I'm a journalist. And so, you know, I'm always looking um, to, um, you know, find hard evidence 
to uh, buttress some of my skeptical conclusions, and it's there. So uh, what was well, your second uh, question? It was the, the other claim, which is that, well, we haven't quite tied Trump to Russiagate yet, but the Russians well, are still well, there, and, and they'll, they'll be trying to interfere in the next elections. So nothing's really changed. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's just, um, I don't know at what point the uh, Democrats and liberals decide that we need to have a conflict with Russia. I mean, it's a it's a very powerful country. I mean, I don't trust the Russian government. I, I think it's quite a, very oppressive. They had no right to invade Ukraine. It's a great injustice. Uh, on the other hand, they're on the other side of the world, and it's not like we can fix their problems, and they really can't do that much here. But if you look at the level of hysteria uh, that was used to basically institute a regime of federal censorship here because of the Russian threat, with the um, cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency, uh, the FBI meddling on Twitter, and a hell of a lot more elsewhere we haven't heard about. It's amazing how quickly the Washington establishment was happy to throw the First Amendment overboard because of the Russian threat. There was there was a great line that uh, the hearing, I think it was last week, Congressman Dan Bishop, North Carolina, a, a smart conservative, and there was a lady there who was a federal contractor who had gotten these these monies to uh, to help warn people about you know foreign propaganda and stuff like that. Bishop asked her. He said, you know, look, there was a 1965 Supreme Court case, and it said uh, you know it said that people had a right to receive foreign propaganda, for instance, from the Soviet Union. It might have been a subscription to Pravda. I forgot what the actual detail was, but it was very clear almost 60 years ago. That, um, that the federal government could not prohibit Americans from accessing foreign information. Where the hell did that understanding go? Yeah, that's something that probably re- deserves a lot more attention. And it's actually just astounding what people now take for granted in terms of what the government can just do. And I mean, uh, like my recent article yes. on seditious conspiracy, right? There was basically nothing yes. in federal law about opposing the regime or conspiring against the regime outside of actually taking up arms against the regime throughout most of the 19th century. And somehow America survived. And it wasn't even necessary in countering the Civil War from the North's perspective. So they just started to invent this stuff in the late 19th century. And now people just, oh, yeah, well, I mean, you got people conspiring everywhere. If they uh, broke a window at the U.S. Capitol, clearly that's some sort of assault upon democracy and the U.S. regime. And it's I mean, and people just now take it for granted no. that this is okay, that the feds can do all of that. And, it, and just as recently as the 60s, there was just a lot more skepticism of that sort of thing. Yeah, it, it's amazing how much more power federal prosecutors have, uh, partly with all these um, tools for investigation, um, the, the vacuum up people's lives. I mean, there was, uh, what, was the, uh, what was the term for the search warrant that they used? after January 6th, where they could pull up the information on anybody in the D.C. area on their credit cards, whatever. Uh, so, but it, it, it kind of goes back, you know, a, a lesson that isn't really part of what, what I draw from the uh, Durham report is that, you know, if you look at what happened in 2016, it did not, it, it almost changed the result of the election, not quite. FBI might have changed, FBI, CIA might have changed the result in 2020. I'm not sure. But 
at the rate that we're going, the uh, presence on the inaugural address, they uh, love to say, I'm here because of the will of the people. You know, they should change that to I'm here because of the will of the FBI, because that's what it's come down to. But, you know, but to be honest, if the president came out and said that in public, hell, you'd have half the press corps stand up and cheer. Well, I mean, you even got that from some libertarians. I'm sure Tho remembers this, right? After uh, we started talking about the deep state in 2017, well, you had some people who well, hated you. Had, you had some libertarians who had so much Trump derangement syndrome that they were coming out saying, well, I'd rather the deep state run America than a monster like Trump. Because at least, you know, these these people aren't fascists like Trump is. And I'm just, this is a completely bonkers position. Uh, but I think, I hopefully this report is starting to bring out a little bit more the true nature of the deep state is that they're there to serve their own purposes. They've got their own ideas. They couldn't care less about elections or anything like that. Yeah, and, and that's a great point about the deep state because, you know, uh, you know, for most of... Uh, the last, well, in the late uh, 2010s, the media was saying it was based on only conspiratorial nuts believed in it. And then you had the uh, Vindman leaking the, um, Vindman and other people leaking information on Ukraine. And you had a Washington Post headline, thank God for the deep state. You had a number of prominent liberal journalists gushing praise for the a deep state as the savior of democracy. And it was, a, you know... That whole, you know, the first Trump impeachment, but that's another story. But, but this is something, you know, the uh, this is the one of the nice things about the Durham report. It does put a lot more meat on the deep state role in the 2016 election because you had the FBI going on a rampage and they didn't have crap. Even some of the own their own agents said, you know, this is awfully thin. There's nothing here. Yeah, let's go and do a wiretap. You know, I would. On a presidential campaign. Uh, I would highly recommend that people at least skim it if they're interested in this sort of thing <laughs> at all. Because there's a lot of choice info in there, like real details. This is not the sort of thing where you could just go on Twitter and say, oh, you're just taking out of this what, what you want. Of course, uh, anybody could pull anything away from this report if uh, they slice and dice the info enough. I mean, there is really damning stuff in here that really shows the way the FBI does things. And there's there's nothing professional about it. There's nothing uh, dispassionate or unbiased about it. They Let's just file the FBI under technocrat, the same place we would put CDC, quote-unquote, scientist, or Fed banker, who's supposedly some sort of expert economist over there. I mean, it's these are the sorts of people running these agencies, highly politicized um, political hacks, in many cases. And and as you know, yeah, sure, I think there's some real principled people in the agency, but they're not the ones running it. That's for sure. And it, I think you could re- you could summarize the report in one of the quotes that you, you referenced in your article, Jim. The FBI discounted or, willif- or willfully ignored material information that did not support the narrative of a collusive relationship between Trump and Russia. They completely dismissed anything that did not fit in that realm. And that, that that fits so much of what we've seen from these government abuses time and time again, decades out and in, a lot of the reporting you've done yourself, is, is that if, if something goes outside the narrative, is easily dismissed. They, they, you know, once they have determined that something is, is, is valid or, or at the very least useful to their ends, they will proceed with it and no other evidence can, can draw them otherwise. The, what I am interested to see going on from this, ramifications from this, you mentioned – that you know, you know now effectively, I mean, the, the FBI has an incredible impact upon you know whatever remnants of you know in 
not not to have a larger conversation about the merits of democracy itself, but the, the infa- influence that the FBI has now had in the political process. Now that we have this, what are the ramifications? Are there any is, is there anyone that's going to actually be held liable for this? You know, you, you've you've had more success at the criminal uh, at, at the the justice system, the court system, uh, penalizing Trump for you know sexual assault allegations made you know decades ago than anything that's come about in terms of true accountability to you know any of the abuses that have come out in various reports and, and the stuff that's become very very clear in recent years. I'm interested to see, and again, I, I have no hope on this. But it's going to be very interesting to see if there's any will for Republicans to translate this anger, right, in the material that is, I think, is very useful for illustrating for people like you and Ryan the abuses of these agencies. And it's important for people to become aware of it. But where where does that awareness translate into actual accountability to these individuals? Because that's one of the biggest issues I think that we have right now is that more people are – yeah, I, I don't want to use the word woke because obviously that connotations – but awake – to again the, the the corruptive influence of big pharma and and health regulators and the public health apparatus to so the FBI and its politicalization to the CIA, which your article mentions, you know James Brennan, who just looks like a classic villain that you would cast in any movie. You know his awareness of the entire investigation. There's there's awareness that these are bad actors, but how does that awareness turn into real accountability? And that's the thing that's still lacking throughout all of this. I know, I know Ryan, your article in the FBI. Um, this week is 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 great, and there's there's rhetoric getting closer to that. You have Marjorie Taylor Greene, you have Matt Gates willing to use words like in the FBI. But I'm interested to see at all does this translate to actual you know political action? Um, given just just particularly just how one side of this entire dynamic has been, I, I, I think that it's it's I think our audience is going to be understandably cynical on that. But that that I think is the ultimate question on whether this report really translates to anything meaningfully that'll have a lasting impact on the agency. And that is why I'm on the edge of my chair. Well, I do think, uh, though, no. one key is to never forgive or forget, right? Because you just have to keep pushing it. Because some people forget that back in the '80s, yeah. Daniel Patrick Moynihan was talking about abolishing the CIA after they were proven to be so useless in giving us an accurate picture of what the Soviet Union looked like. But that kind of dies out, uh, and they they uh, recover their reputation. So, yeah, don't, don't let up, I think, is the key. Well, if, if a Kennedy is running for president again, then, then all, all the old tropes are back in place. So, you know, you know, this is now a very interesting time for the resurrection of, of some of these uh, these older, better ideas. <laughs> some yeah, of these I, I mean, and, and that's one positive thing. It's great that y'all were pushing that at Mises uh, because y- y'all take the, the broader view. You're, you're, it's a lot better than to throw away op-ed in the Washington Post. Uh, so... Um, I don't. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm. I'm certainly going to keep writing about it. I'm going to keep digging and reading about it. Um, I'd be lying if I said I was an optimist. Uh, but but it's a fundamental. You know, um, at this point, you know, uh, I think Giuliani, Giuliani asked me what I would recommend or whatever, and it's like, well, I mean, it'd be great if we could put the FBI under the law and the Constitution. I mean, that you know, that'd be a great start. But it goes back to what Hale Boggs, uh, House Majority Leaders, talked about in 1971, a speech on the House floor. He said there was fear on Capitol Hill, visible fear of the FBI. They were afraid to pull in the reins. And I think there's quite a bit of that now. I don't know if it's as much as at the end of the Hoover era, 
But um, but it's also hard to tell because um, so few of the congressmen seem like they're worthless enough, but some of them are afraid. A lot of them are just useless overall. So, you know, it's hard to it's hard to tell from one to one the reason for the failure. But I have been impressed by some of the newer Republicans, uh, some of the members on the uh, House Weaponization Committee. I watched a few of their hearings. They did a lot better than I expected. They were thoughtful. They were focused. And they sounded a hell of a lot better than the Republicans I listened to in the mid-90s talking at congressional hearings about Waco, where they'd spent two-thirds of their time on their knees, you know, um, showing their affection for the FBI. Yeah, I'm astounded. If you just go on Twitter and you just put in FBI and just kind of see what's in the stream of people mentioning the Durham report and stuff, I am shocked at just the number of members of Congress and fairly prominent conservatives saying the FBI is corrupt, end it, get rid of it. Now, now some of these people, they make a mistake by saying, end the FBI, replace it with something else. I, what's that? That's just, <laughs> that's just FBI part two. I don't, I don't see how that improves the situation. Uh, but the fact that this is being said out loud so often, I think, is, it's, at least in my lifetime, because I do remember the 90s, uh, as well, and just just the way that people, the, the way Republicans were fawning over Janet Reno back then was just astounding. And so it does seem to be a very different situation now. And maybe that's something we have to thank uh, Donald Trump for, is now it's permissible to just name call and, and tell people what we truly think about them in Washington instead of pretending all of this uh, honorable gentleman garbage that was used for years to cover up the reality of filth in, uh, in Washington. But I think one other aspect, too, this brings me to my last question for you, uh, Jim, is uh, I noticed, of course, that the Washington Post, and I think New York Times reporters as well, received Pulitzer Prizes for their work on Russiagate. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> oh, I mean, they were using yeah. this FBI stuff that Durham's talking about as the basis for all these ongoing reporting on Russiagate, which they just reported as fact and, of course, whipped up anti-Russian sentiment over. Now that this report's coming out and said, well, a lot of this stuff is just BS— Somebody asked the Washington Post if they're going to give up their Pulitzer Prizes. They're not. Uh, shocking. And so I, I, doesn't that complicate, Matt? Would, I know that there, there, I have seen reports where even if you do go back to the New York Times and you look at what everyone was saying in the media, let's say back in the days of the Pentagon Papers, right? There was definitely a contingent among the media who was very pro-Vietnam War, and took the establishment position. It was a large contingent, and a large contingent, a lot of the editorial writers, uh, there was a lot more, uh, there were a lot more people, you know, no, I can't make that analogy, it's improper. Um, there, there, were a, a lot, there were a lot more journalists and editorial writers who were in favor of the war during the war than later admitted to it. So, um, so the question so, about the press is, are, you know, are things better or worse? Is the press more sycophantic toward the regime now than they used to be? And how much of a challenge is that going to be for us? I think it is more sycophantic now. If you look at the um, how the uh, press covered COVID, I mean, uh, it was like they, um, you know, they made a saint out of Fauci. It was so extreme that people would get their Fauci bobbleheads. But the same thing happened with Robert Mueller. People would get uh, Robert Mueller votary candles or votive candles. And it's like, I didn't understand that one either. Um, 
part of it is that the uh, there there's been a change in journalism uh, going back a few decades ago. There was more maybe ornery or skeptical or whatever. There was an editor I had in the early 2000s at USA Today, Chris Collins, editorial page, who was deputy, or I forgot what her title was, but she wasn't uh, conservative or libertarian or, or liberal, I don't think, but but she'd worked on Capitol Hill for like 20 years. And she was great to pitch a story to because she understood most of what the politicians were saying was bullshit. And so I could pitch to her, hey, here's an angle, here's a story on the, on the bullshit angle. I don't know this that possible to do that anymore. There's uh, obviously some outlets that are open to it, but um, I, I, you know, if you look at the the uh, uproar of the New York Times op-ed page three years ago when they ran the article by the uh, Senator Cotton calling for uh, sending in the troops for the uh, George Floyd riots, and the op-ed editor got fired, and there was a vast pity party, and they had to bring an extra therapist for the New York Times reporters. I mean, this is something that is just unbelievable, and um, there's a, it's almost like there's a lot more fear of ideas that uh, that, that are, are are labeled dissident, and they would, you know, the journalists would not recognize. Oh well, you're uh, it looks like you're opposed to to um, the dissidents. No, I'm in favor of social justice. Okay, great. So it's sort of like back in the Soviet Union. Well, you know, I'm just in favor of communism. You know, that's all that matters. So I don't know how much gumption is left in the media. I think there's uh, maybe a generation of people that have come up. And there are a lot of fine editors out there. But I think there's to see what's being published is um, it almost makes me cynical. Again, particularly I mean, the major mouthpieces have, have never been worse, but there's more opportunities out there that, than ever before. And of course, when you have uh, Twitter's community notes referencing Mises oh, articles, fact-checking the president himself, that's great. that is a step in the right direction. Of course, I someone who will continues. always be out there. Yes. Yes. I, I, I mean, there's it's sort of like, you know, where's Twitter going? And I mean, there's there's a lot of people that made Twitter their, their great hope. And I'm thinking like, okay, well, you know, Anyhow, we'll see how it goes. Well, someone who you can place as your great hope to continuing to, to call out the abuses of various federal agencies. It is our friend Jim Bovard, author of Thank many you. books. I, whenever there is a, a Jim Bovard article, whether it's in the New York Post, whether it's Mises Institute, whether it is on uh, Libertarian Institute, I always click it. It's, it's always a guaranteed great read. He's also great on Twitter, at Jim Bovard. Jim, thank you so much for joining us to talk about this topic. Hey, thanks for your kind words. Thanks for having me on. This has been Radio Rothbard for Ryan, for Jim, for myself. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.